Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, so I've had this very important revelation. Mm -hmm. I've discovered the most important radical feminist film to come out this century. Mm -hmm. It's called Chicken Run. (laughs) It's about social strike. It's about how sisterhood and like feminine solidarity can resist the terms of oppression. And the central plot twist is that the man is secretly incompetent. Is that not the best thing you've ever heard? And now I want to rewatch Chicken Run with my kind of autonomous hat, autonomous feminist hat on. And look at the. <laughs> and this is because, like. I wonder what an autonomous feminist hat would look like. It's definitely not the pussy hat. No. <laughs> Bless it. But the uh, villain is also a woman. Mm. Representing perhaps lean in neoliberal feminists. Exactly. It's so consummate. Also, also, my favourite bit is like both the ma- the men in it, well, the male chickens in it are incompetent. My favourite bit of Chicken Run is when they get the plane all together and they're about to escape from the chicken farm. They're like, right, major old chicken dude, fly the plane. It's like, I, I, I can't fly a plane. I'm I'm a chicken. I'm a chicken. They don't let chickens fly planes. I'm like, oh yes, the kind of fourth wall of animal anthropomorphization. It's so pleasing. After the revolution, it will be on every curriculum worldwide. <laughs> Welcome to Sisterhood, Mm -hmm. our new podcast about gender, politics, big ideas, current affairs, where we get under the skin of your news feeds and wriggle about a little. And talk about all the weird stuff that's happening in our brains. (laughs) I'm Eleanor Penny. I'm Laurie Penny. And we just so happen to be related. Yep, we we are related. I've known you for a very long time. I have known you for all of the time. Today, we are asking the question, what is the political meaning of sisterhood? What does sisterhood mean in a political context? What's it for? And what is it not? And okay, so why are we asking this question this week? Well, we're partly asking it because it's the first podcast and because, you know, we have sisterhood in the title and I know I had to persuade you. Because it's a gimmick. (laughs) Because it is a gimmick. Obviously it's a gimmick. And I know I had to persuade you to do this and you're like, oh, sell me on this idea. Actually, the political notion of sisterhood, I think, is quite important to unpack. And one of the reasons I think it's important to unpack is because of something you said to me ages ago when you were helping me puzzle out an article about gender and transphobia 
I remember saying to you on, I think on the WhatsApp, you know, what is it about sisterhood that people who don't have the, yeah, the WhatsApp, you know, on the, <laughs> was it not on the Facebook? On the World Wide Web. <laughs> Whilst I was surfing the information highway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, yeah, I asked you a question on the WhatsApp about, you know, what sisterhood actually means, because people have this idea of sisterhood, both within feminism and from outside feminism, as this magical force, you know, we all hold hands in the red tent together, there shall never be any argument, there shall never be any disagreement, it will be patchouli-scented, and I think anybody who thinks of sisterhood as this utopia has never actually had sisters. (laughs) Yeah, no, like the collective noun is a squabble, right? Squabble of sisters. In Terry Pratchett, the collective noun for a group of witches is an argument of witches. Right, so it's about allowing your sisters to be their best selves, which kind of sometimes means like pulling one another up when we are failing to be politically right on. Yeah, somebody asked me about sisterhood the other day. I said, look, my sisters are... Like, nobody has the capacity to annoy me more. I hate their guts all the I'm time, so but bad. they're also also my favourite people in the whole world and I would do anything for them, right? So, like, you, sis, part of actual, you know, real-life biological sisterhood rather than, you know, biologically essentialist sisterhood, which is something else, actual sisterhood is also about having the right to tell your sibling when they're being an idiot or making a bad choice. And, and for that service, I am forever indebted to you. Thank you. As am I to you. <laughs> But mapped onto a political context, right, it's interesting that the powerful concept of sisterhood as a positive axis of female solidarity, Mm. when the whole host of forces in patriarchal culture is telling us to compete, to tear one another down, because there's only a very limited amount of social space that can possibly be occupied by women. And like, in its most sort of basic sense, sisterhood is a refusal of that. But we're also currently seeing it as a means of exclusion and as a means of silencing other people. Policing the boundaries of what womanhood is and who is allowed in. I saw this around the discussion of the Women's March, right? And of course, the Women's March in Washington earlier in 2017, when the big, big protests against Donald Trump... And it was this, it was an interesting moment. I went to the one in DC. I know you went to London as well. Yeah. And there's that wonderful picture of you climbing up a lamppost. Yes. Yeah, which is sunrise, sunset. I used to climb (laughs) up lampposts to get to see the rest of the protest. Anyway, there was this moment of suddenly, it was like every feminist, every political woman in the whole world was facing the same direction. And there were all these articles written by people who don't really understand what feminism is meant to be. Like, now we will change the world. Now we all agree, finally, for once. I'm like, have you met feminism? Like, we never agree on any... Like, we've, we've spent 300 years fighting each other half the time. And actually, we've managed to get quite a lot done despite that. So let's not... The point being, to my eyes, that we managed to get quite a lot done because of it there's a very famous photo now and my favorite photo of the whole march from washington side of the the festivities is a black woman i think she has a lollipop which kind of makes it even better holding up a sign saying white women also voted for trump yep right and what that is is this like consistent reminder to like broaden our imaginative horizons of what it is to demand restitution and to, Mm -hmm. to demand justice because the idea that there were millions and millions of women all facing the same way it's I mean broadly true but also 
if it's your only analysis, completely erasing the different struggles that those women have, and also the fact that without questioning the contemporary layouts of power, those struggles are actually oppositional, right? The idea that sisterhood is about never being able to challenge or critique your sister or say that she's been disappointing, which lol. Um, But like... I'm still disappointed in you that you didn't become a goth. That was my big, big hope. I mean, they thought I was a goth in Spain. Did they? Why? Because I had to, I had to remind people that I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just an existentialist. I'm just, I'm just very, very intellectual and you probably don't understand. I just, yeah, I remember being like brought into, like summoned into your attic room when you were like 14 and I would have been about seven or eight. And you're like, I have this. I have a very important thing to show you. And it was Green Day. It was Green Day. <laughs> I had to introduce you to the world of Green Day. Obviously, you haven't properly understood yet the importance of Green Day as a force in culture. And you should know that Green Day is still going and they're proper comrades. They keep giving money to anarchist defence funds. Billy Joe from Green Day was one of the first. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Joe from Green Day was one of the first. This know, isn't a visual medium, but my look of shock and confusion was. No. My teenage, they're very important. Green Day are very important, and they're one of the first people to do that. No Trump, no KKK, no fascist USA on stage pre the elections, and that is why Green Day still matter. And their latest album was pretty good. Are they allowed in the sisterhood though? No, maybe they could be allies. This is the important thing, right? The important distinction between allyship writ large mm. and sisterhood as a political formation mm-hmm. because what I what I'm trying to tease out is like what makes it different more powerful more problematic whatever from like ordinary bonds of solidarity recognizing that okay all of our oppressions are bound up together but then again some people suffer more and everyone sort of experiences the world differently etc yeah. etc so what is the particular configuration of sisterhood and what does it give us? There is a tradition that comes down from second wave feminism in particular of the importance of organising within quote-unquote women's spaces mm. and also of providing women's spaces as refuges, often from violence. Obviously, and I think those two things should be separate. You know, you, you can't have a political space which is also explicitly a refuge that's the centre of your organising work that's doing something different, right? Why is that because you're going to have to police the boundaries of a refuge space and a quote-unquote safe space much more carefully than you will you know if you have a space that is meant first and foremost to be a refuge and to be to protect people from trauma and further abuse and from triggering then yes you will need to keep certain people away depending on who's in the group and their needs but maybe those people are also you know meant to be part of a broader movement like I don't think that you should okay put it this way I think people should be able to organize whatever club they want and to invite whoever they want to be into like their private house and their little gang but if that little gang then becomes the center of organizing a political movement then there is a duty to make it less exclusive and to open it up more and to have less of a centrally dictating terms of who can and cannot be in it and that I guess that brings us on quite nicely to 
to stuff that's happening right now within the gender and feminist movement, particularly in the UK. This is what, I guess, worries me Mm. about the ways in which the political concept of sisterhood has evolved. Because, like you point out, it's a second wave feminist Mm -hmm. thing as a kind of means of epistemic justice. It gives you a a tool... Can you explain to me what epistemic justice is? It gives you a tool to understand your own oppression and Mm -hmm. to fight against it, right? But as something that is the heritage of second wave feminism, it also gets bound up with some less desirable aspects of second wave feminism. And we're seeing that all over the news right now. And you're talking about transphobia. Yeah, I'm talking about transphobia that has consistently, sporadically blows up in UK media. Particularly UK media. Yes. They don't seem to have this problem as much in the US. Yeah. I think it comes down from a, you know, a tradition of, you know, vigorous debate, let's call it, in the UK, but actually really powerful and toxic infighting rather than infighting that is merely productive. This feels, you know, this has been going on for 40 years and more, some of it involving the same actors, people who just have got to the stage where they do not see each other as human and they don't see each other's humanity as important to the conversation. They see each other as symbols, particularly people on the radical cis feminist side see people who are transgender women in particular as what they represent rather than what they are. And and they will often call transgender women men and say these are men who want to come into women's spaces and we must stop them at all costs. This is my curiosity with the violence and the vitriol Mm. that comes out of a lot of UK-based feminist transphobia. Because it's not like they don't have transphobia in the US. Obviously they do have loads. Uh, The life expectancy for a trans woman of colour in the US is like 35, which is astonishing. Um, But the particular quote-unquote feminist inflection of it, I'm I'm saying like, why, if one of the founding axioms of feminism is that biology is not destiny, and that what you have in your chromosomes or between your legs when you are sprogged forth out of uh, out of the womb why then has that been allowed to be a permission for just doubling down on some staunchly unscientific quasi-biological claims about what is and isn't essential to to humanity and just And, and essential to womanhood look but What I have found with my engagement over the years with these communities, and look, I'm trying not to say the word turf, not because I think it's a slur, but because if we use it, then that's going to be the debate from now on. When the word turf originally came up to, because it means trans-exclusive radical feminist, and some radical feminists who don't think that way about trans women were like, hang on, that's that's not me, don't just say radical feminist. But anyway, I'm not. I'm going to try not to use that word because it's I'm just, just more problem I'm than it's sure. worth. Like, I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to reduce the debate to a sort of meta-debate on language, but I do but think actually that it is. If, if, you're, if you're fighting over a term that accurately describes your views, I want to say maybe you should reassess your views. Exactly, yeah. And so much of this debate is about language. It's become like we don't want to use the word cis. We don't want to use the word, well, turf. We don't want to use this word to mean woman. We want to be able to call these people men even though they don't identify as men. It's really like language used as a very precise and almost surgical 
weapon in terms of dividing groups of women against each other. But when it comes to this debate, I'm less and less concerned with trying to persuade the other side why they're wrong because it just doesn't work it's meant to, it's an ideology rather than a set of facts there's not I've, I've spent you know years arguing with people who who hold this point of view and obviously you know I'm somebody with cis privilege I'm not arguing over my right to my own gender identity here yeah. although I am a little bit because I'm genderqueer but it's not productive it's not a productive use of time because it's based it's an article of faith it's almost a cult-like mentality Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's more useful to ask what are the ramifications of this debate rather than trying to win the debate, try and ask what it's actually doing within feminism right now. And for me, with the best will in the world, this debate is important to a lot of people. But particularly for the people who are on the cis-feminist end of it, who are saying, no, we want to preserve our women's spaces and this is what we think a woman is. And they're spending, like, their entire political lives fighting this battle. I mean, even if it were true, even working from an assumption that everything they think about trans women is true, even if it were, which it's not, why is this your thing right now? Why is this... Right now, when we've got so much else going on in the world, why is this your main concern? That leads me to ask the question, what power is in it for cis women to sort of weaponize the bounds of womanhood and weaponize the concept of sisterhood to exclude some of the most like marginalized and endangered populations 
in the country. I think when you talk about justice for trans women, that's not just mm. about you know recognition and visibility. It's also it requires a more transformative demand of economic justice. Absolutely. Which means that actually, if you are in a certain comfortable position as a liberal cis feminist, those sort of more radical economic and political demands, not just for visibility, but for mm. real transformative justice, real assessing what we, how we mm. organise our police and our economy and that sort of thing, that's actually quite a destabilising idea, right? Yes, but I would actually push back on that because I, I think a lot of the people arguing from that cis and an anti-trans point of view are not necessarily liberal in the way that you're describing, not all of them at mm. least. A lot of them are genuinely radical feminists, but it's just they identify the root of gender injustice and of patriarchy as something different from what you and me might necessarily. They are interested in purely in male violence as the root of everything and not necessarily a broader understanding of patriarchy as an economic and materialist force. They're just male violence and it's quite an essentialist understanding of male violence. And that is... I want to say that there has been useful work that has come out of that part of the movement, aside from the attacks on trans women and the attacks on sex workers as well, which also come from that same idea of what male violence is at the, at the root. People from that side of the movement have also done you know, very important work with abortion rights, very important work in the domestic violence movement. It's complex, right? Sure, but I just, what I'm troubled by is that a continuing rewriting of basically patriarchal script, which, according to which, you need to perform womanhood well in order to be allowed mm. to live on a very, very basic level. And that's sort of heuristic is is used to exclude you know all kinds of women sex workers are not doing women womanhood properly they are you know apparently like betraying the sisterhood yep. or getting in bed with the pimp lobby this that they love lobbies the pimp lobby. yeah, yeah um <laughs> these fictional lobbies or and you know trans women are, are secretly these like fifth columnists for patriarchy it's very very odd and you know it's it could be taken right out of the book of these sort of victorian obsessions with the angel of the house which is about praising femininity but only very 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 narrow bourgeois yeah. white understanding of femininity i think that's there are women within that movement who are saying look we part of the point of feminism is to define for ourselves what womanhood is but then immediately defining it as as not this thing and excluding these people from it would seem to counteract that but anyway we're getting more again into the ideology here it's um one thing i have found which is just my experience and i'm not sure how how true this is across the board but when i was in germany no in luxembourg recently i'm sorry and sorry for being in Luxembourg. <laughs> We've set up a program of rehabilitation so Lux that she will Luxembourg. never go to Luxembourg again. I will go to Luxembourg again. I have a good friend who lives in Luxembourg. Some, I, I said to my friend, like, Luxembourg is the clitoris of Europe because it, <laughs> Luxembourg, is the, Luxembourg is the clitoris of Europe because it's very small. It's hard to find. But when you figure it out, all the rest makes so much more sense. Luxembourg, clitoris of Europe. It needs some work. We'll just have to take that on trust. <laughs> All right. But, so I was 
talking at an event which was organised by a radical lesbian feminist group, there were a lot of questions being asked about gender and about what they called transgender and which was a there was also ah, a la- the transgender the transgender but there was also a, a, a language barrier there so I don't want to make fun of it too much. What I've found is that this argument comes a great deal out of communities of a certain generation and outlook of radical lesbian feminists, and I think there is a sense within some of those communities that the history of radical lesbian feminism has been somehow lost and the contributions that lesbian feminists in particular have made to the feminist movement have been forgotten. And I think that's true in some ways. Actually, I think there has been a, an erasing of lesbian history. And that's a valid thing to say and to think, but rather than just saying, can you please pay some more attention to us because we matter and our point of view matters and our communities matter and we're people, then instead of that, like it's like the only discourse a certain generation of radical person knows how to speak in is by kicking up a massive fight and attacking someone else. But it's also about, it's the same scarcity thinking, right? There's only a certain amount of power, there's only a certain amount of recognition Mm -hmm. available when trans women are talking about their vital role in say stonewall yes that is somehow erasing when actually if it's about expanding the field of recognition and power and transforming society more fundamentally there's no need for that weird malthusian thinking yeah but what this it's not highlander yeah it's not highlander it's not highlander this leads me to think of really is because the debate over whether or not trans women are women sometimes goes down the rabbit hole of whether or not the end goal of feminism should be to abolish gender yeah now i think you can hold at the same time the idea that trans women are women and that is a valid Mm -hmm. genuine real phenomena like yes all genders are socially constructed but so is money so is the calendar you still use all of these things they are still very very tangible green day are real and pure and green day is a social construct no it's not (laughs) green day is not a social (laughs) anyway and the idea that ultimately gender currently operates as a system of power and that system of power should be dissolved right and what blows my mind really is that you can be invested in the power of women organizing together but also still invested in the power systems that necessitate women organizing themselves together which is illustrated to my mind in the fact that a lot of radical feminists in order to platform their sort of transphobia are getting into bed with some really like deeply yeah. reactionary publications and people who ultimately don't have the interests of any women in mind yeah right? and all of these conservative pundits in the u.s and, and lawmakers who suddenly care a lot about protecting women in bathrooms and suddenly are kind of getting into the same room and trying to make deals with with radical feminists they don't care about women they don't care about violence against women they just want to provide a talking point to make Make their conservative Christian voters think that they're doing something about this trans phenomenon and protecting our kids. You protect kids against the threats of, you know, feminism and gay teachers and trans women 
But not against the threats of actual Republican governors, right? So they don't, they really, yeah, I mean, really well, fundamentally don't care. The rights of the child as a discursive point, it just, it's dripping with hypocrisy. If we're talking about protecting children, what children? Who's protecting the trans children exactly. from a world which tells them that their bodies are wrong and it's wrong to be them in the world? You know, why aren't we concerned for those kids? Yeah, why aren't we concerned about the nearly half of young trans girls, trans women who attempt suicide? Not think about it, attempt. Yes, well, why aren't we concerned about, you know, the 14-year-old trans kid who can't go to the bathroom because they're worried about being beaten up or being thrown out and, and humiliated? There's a reason why bathrooms have become the symbolic battleground of the debates over trans rights. It's because, as Laverne Cox pointed out, it's about wider permission to access public space. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't leave your house and go about your daily life if you know that, like... If you need to piss, you're not going to be able to. Yeah, bathrooms are really, really, really important. Yeah. And you know that as soon as you've been stuck out in town, yeah. and like that's, that's what... the biologically essential point here. Like that's the only biologically essentialist point that's Everyone relevant needs to trans. To wee. Everyone needs to wee. It's about comfort versus safety as well. Yeah. And I want to like, be careful. What's at stake for yeah. each party? I want to be careful here because there is that reactionary argument that when people ask for safe and safer spaces, actually they want to be comfortable and they don't want to be offended. Yeah. But there is something to the use of safety as a mask for other debates. People say that if these people come into our space, we won't feel safe. But what they mean is if these people come into our space, we will feel uncomfortable and we'll feel challenged. Yeah. And and I think that's something we do need to look at on the left when it comes to who is excluded, who isn't. And of course, the standard can't be applied universally. There is a difference between saying we don't want any white cis guys in our space than there is saying we don't want any women of colour in our space. You know, context matters. Context really matters when you're deciding how to build communities and spaces and who has access to public space. But I think with this debate, saying that cis women will not feel safe if trans women are allowed into certain spaces, particularly in bathrooms, that's not about their safety, it is about their comfort. Whereas for trans women, it actually is about their safety because they are at physical risk of violence if they go into the men's bathroom. So we're, we're literally saying that the comfort of cis women is more important than the physical safety of trans women. And just their continued right to exist. Because if we think about sisterhood as in its best formation, a network of mutual survival, then we have to think of it as a responsibility as well as a tool. Because when you exclude people from that network, you also, in a very, very real way, exclude them from survival. That You say, we don't care about your life, your happiness, your existence. And those are the stakes, right? It's not about who gets offended by the use of the words turf or cis and who, Mm -hmm. you know, can drum up this sort of false sense of outrage that really doesn't threaten their lives or their livelihoods in any way. It's about who gets to live, whose lives are important, whose bodies are mournable. We're recording this on Transgender Awareness Week just a few days after Trans Day of Remembrance, which is a day to commemorate and mourn and honour people whose lives have been lost, who've been murdered by transphobes and whose lives have been lost to transphobia and transphobic violence. And it's a very important day in terms of doing activism because it, it reminds us constantly that this is this is something real that's happening. And that these are the real stakes, right? Yeah. When we have these debates, we're often 
using a language about intersectionality and exclusion and erasure of experience, that's already a success, right? We already have the tools to unpick the different ways that we move through patriarchal power systems. But we need to be very aware of the fact that those tools come not from centering our feminism on the experiences of like relatively privileged white women. Mm-hmm. It comes from paying attention to the studies and the struggles of women of colour, because that's where that language comes yes. from, right? Which is a very, very important lesson, because it means that when you listen to women who are more marginalised, your feminism gets better. It does, <laughs> yeah. This idea that we all have to have the same experience of womanhood in order to do politics together and have solidarity, that, that's incredibly problematic because we don't... If we come back to the analogy of biological sisterhood and mm. being in the same family, yes, we are all in some ways growing up in patriarchy, you know, women in the world, but every woman will have a different experience of patriarchy depending on who she is, when she's growing up. Like, in the same family, two people, we have another sister, so three people can have entirely different experiences of that same family. You know, we have different parents. We have the same parents, but... We have different experiences have different of our parents. Because they had us at different ages. You know, I'm six years older than you. You have, a, you have experience of people who are slightly different and older being your parents when you were a newborn than when I was. Yeah. Dad had a beard when you were born, for example. I wasn't particularly compost but I'll have to you take You probably don't remember. You were I very small. Yes. Thank you for not Naming me Rainbow Dash. Oh, yeah. I got to choose Ellie's middle name. Ellie arrived early and Dad had taken me to McDonald's, which was a massive treat. And we rushed back, but the prize I got in the Happy Meal was a tiny little Rainbow Dash, My Little Pony. And that was my my two big memories of that day were New Sister and I finally got Rainbow Dash. So I think of Elsa. Even though if you were to be a My Little Pony, from My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, you would be Twilight Twilight Sparkle. Obviously I would be Twilight Sparkle. Actually, we both would probably be Twilight Sparkle. It's a very sort of limited range of good ponies. Twilight Sparkle was the only one with Edge. Rainbow Dash is pretty cool. I just accept that I will never be that cool myself. That and you be... accept that I will never be that cool myself either. Well, you're just not that kind of cool. No, it's fine. It's, it's, it's out in the world now. George You've is said Rainbow it. Dash, really. If one of us is Rainbow Dash, it's George. The middle one is Rainbow Dash. She's sporty. Fine, I'm Twilight Sparkle. We can both be Twilight Sparkle. That's not better. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with Twilight Sparkle. You're not rarity. Oh, great. I'm not the really shit one. Sorry. Rarity's not even the really shit one. There are no really shit ones. That's the point of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. You clearly haven't understood that show. But everyone has a slightly rubbish friend. Yeah, but, like, not in that show. The point of the show is that friendship is magic. Have you not... It's in the name of the show. And the point of sisterhood (laughs) is really that sisterhood is magic. Yeah. And we can all be Rainbow Dash if we really, really try. But we can't because neither of us are. I understand that we're trying to make a broader political point about sisterhood here, but on this, I am actually right. <laughs> and I will brook no argument. <laughs> you have to accept that sometimes you're wrong and I'm right. Begrudgingly, yes. <laughs> it's all right. It's not really. Love you. You've been listening to The Sisterhood, a podcast from New Statesman. If you'd like to support our work, go online and subscribe at newstatesman.com. Thank you.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.